break 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 You're listening to Breakthrough News, and this is The Punch-Out. We're following the news all day so you don't have to, giving you everything you need to know about what's in the headlines and what should be. And yes, we're back with you here on The Punch-Out, June 15th. 2021. Very happy to be back here with you. Plenty for you here on the show, as always. We're going to be talking about millions of people being cut off from unemployment insurance here in the U.S. We're going to be talking about America's very racist spy hunts going on all across the university systems here in this country. But before we get to either of those two important stories, we're going to be talking about mass incarceration in the time of COVID. If you want a glimpse into the heartless brutality that is America's prison system, look no further than the fact that 31,000 federal inmates applied for compassionate release due to COVID, but the Bureau of Prisons granted only 36 requests. That is actually fewer requests than 2019, where they approved 55 requests, and where, of course, there was no pandemic. It's worth noting here that more than 256 federal prisoners have died of COVID so far. Compassionate release can also be granted by judges in certain circumstances, and based on research from the Marshall Project, 99% of the 3,221 people who did end up getting compassionate release during the months of the pandemic were released by judges. The BOP actions took place in the context of mass incarceration being a major driver of the epidemic as prisons became super spreader sites. A widely discussed danger that was clear enough that even the super law and order attorney general Bill Barr sent 23,700 federal prisoners to home confinement rather than keep them locked up in prison. The Prison Policy Initiative has studied the relationship of prisons and jails to community spread of COVID and quantified the remarked upon risks. They took a look first at non-metro counties, that's more rural areas where prisons are more likely to be located, and found that in non-metro counties with the fewest incarcerated people, community spread coming from prisons added only about two additional COVID cases per 100,000 people. In the non-metro counties with the highest percentage of incarcerated people, community spread of COVID added 281 additional cases per 100,000 residents. To take a closer look at metro areas, in other words, large cities, they conducted a multi-county analysis to get a broader view of how counties and cities that are closely interlinked were affected by community spread from prisons and jails. Finding, at the high end, mass incarceration was contributing to 206 extra cases per 100,000 people. As they summarize, quote, for both non-metro and metro counties, the impact of mass incarceration on COVID-19 caseloads is most dramatic in economic areas with highly concentrated prison and jail populations, end quote. And taking all that county level data into account, the prison policy initiative was able to also get a sense of the total number of cases added to the overall COVID-19 caseload due to mass incarceration in 25 states. And the numbers in those 25 states are certainly striking. In California, there were 113,969 cases of COVID-19 linked to mass incarceration. In Florida, 92,981. In Texas, 55,017. In Illinois, 47,298. In New York, 38,915. And in Georgia, 24,951. 
All told, they note that for the entire United States, we estimate that mass incarceration was linked to an additional 566,804 cases or roughly 13% of all new cases from May 1st to August 1st of 2020 alone. They further note that, quote, if the cases linked to mass incarceration over the summer of 2020 were the reported caseload of a country, that country would rank fifth in the world, end quote. Given the scale of the outbreak and the role of prisons as super spreader sites, the vaccination of inmates is obviously a key public health issue. So far, however, only 55% of people in prison have been vaccinated. Some states are doing better than others. In California, 75% of people in prison have received at least the first shot. In New York, though, only 27% have. The worst is Utah at 7%, and South Carolina is also particularly low at 16%. Alabama is at 20%, while neighboring Mississippi is at 71%, Texas at 49%, and West Virginia at 34%. So you can see it's all over the map there. How this affects each area, of course, is not going to be the same. But in states like Utah, large pools of unvaccinated, incarcerated people and prison staff could certainly play a big role in new waves, which is something to note because, for instance, Utah, where 46.7% of people have received at least one dose, cases are up 24% in the last two weeks and hospitalizations are up 6%. The U.S. prison system continues to be the world's largest by a long shot holding 2.3 million people in 1,833 state prisons, 110 federal prisons, 1,772 juvenile correctional facilities, 3,134 local jails, 218 immigration detention facilities, 80 Indian country jails, as well as in military prisons, civil commitment centers, state psychiatric hospitals, and prisons in the U.S. territories. And that, of course, is in addition to the 3.6 million people on parole, the 840,000 people on probation, making up nearly 6 million people under correctional authority, all told. 113 million adults in the U.S. have an immediate family member that has been to prison or jail. During the height of the pandemic, quite a bit was discussed about, quote unquote, comorbidities among people exacerbating the spread of COVID. It seems like it's high time to start talking about societal comorbidities like poverty, the lack of healthcare infrastructure, and mass incarceration in the same way. Last week, an FBI agent admitted on the stand that he falsely accused a professor in Tennessee for being a Chinese spy and as part of an ongoing investigation and trial. As the Hill newspaper relates, quote, FBI agent Kuchim Saduku admitted last week to falsely accusing former University of Tennessee Knoxville professor An Ming Hu of being a spy, using baseless information to have him placed on the federal no-fly list and spying on him and his son for two years. Sadiku also admitted to using the false information to pressure Hu to become a spy for the U.S., no evidence was ever discovered that suggested Hu, an internationally recognized welding technology expert, is a spy, end quote. Mr. Hu, who was born in China, was brought under an investigation as part of the quote-unquote China initiative created by the Justice Department in 2018 to allegedly ferret out Chinese economic spies. The FBI agent in question opened the investigation to Mr. Hu based on a Google search and immediately started smearing him to the university where he works despite having no evidence. Federal officials are now trying to salvage their case, which after three years of investigation has turned up nothing by claiming Mr. Hu defrauded NASA 
How that will stand up, who knows? But it's important to note here that Mr. Hu reported his connections to universities in China, not just once, but twice on official forms. So not only is there no evidence he was any sort of spy, but he was not, in fact, even trying to hide the fact that, like many of the world's most renowned scientists, he conducted research in conjunction with Chinese colleagues. The drive towards a new Cold War with China has raised fears that Asian-American scholars will be unfairly accused at higher rates of being spies. And while the case of Mr. Hu certainly speaks to that, this overall issue of the disproportionate charging of Asian-Americans as spies has in fact already been taking place. In 2017, the Committee of the 100 produced a report on exactly this issue. They found that on the one hand, quote, the percentage of people of Chinese heritage charged under the Economic Espionage Act has tripled since 2009 to 52 percent, including people of non-Chinese Asian descent. 62 percent of Economic Espionage Act defendants charged since 2009 have been people of Asian heritage, end quote. But they also note that on the other hand, quote, 22 percent of people of Asian heritage charged with economic espionage were never convicted of espionage. In other words, as many as one in five Asian people prosecuted as spies may be innocent, a rate twice as large as for other races, end quote. It's also worth noting here that half of the cases between 2009 and 2017, the alleged beneficiary of this alleged espionage was a U.S. entity. Only one third involved an alleged Chinese beneficiary. Mr. Hu's case shows how easy it is to be tied to a three-year national security investigation that is deeply invasive. You just have to be Chinese or have some ties to Chinese institutions. That an intensive three-year investigation can be kept going despite no evidence the person is a spy speaks to how truly racist the whole thing is. As long as you are Chinese, the suspicion can still be maintained. That FBI agents are following leads based on Google searches of publicly available disclosed activity also shows how much pressure the FBI is putting on agents to find spies. They have, of course, claimed that there are massive spy threats coming from China when the leaders of the FBI go before Congress, that is. So they have to make it true after the fact. It's a good reminder that the claims of the U.S. government as to who the so-called enemies, quote unquote, of the country are really need to be examined very closely. Three days ago began a wave of premature cutoffs to state-level unemployment benefits. Overall, by the end of July, 3.9 million workers will lose access to family-sustaining wage assistance, despite the continued depressed state of the economy. So National Employment Law Project details, quote, The first wave of premature cutoffs began on Saturday, June 12th in four states, Alaska, Iowa, Mississippi, and Missouri. Alaska will be ending only the $300 federal pandemic unemployment compensation weekly supplemental payments, while the other three states will be terminating all pandemic unemployment programs, end quote. Overall, 21 states are slated to end all unemployment benefits, while 25 are ending at least the FPUC. The NELP also notes that 46% of those slated to lose access to benefits are workers of color. They also further note about the most affected state, that's Texas, quote, in Texas, a staggering four in five workers, 81.9% currently receiving unemployment payments, totaling 1.2 million workers, 59.3% of whom are workers of color, will lose all unemployment income support. Wow. 1.2 million workers. In Maryland, 84.9% of workers currently receiving unemployment payments will lose all unemployment income support. 58.7% of those are workers of color. 
And of course, this is all happening as the economy remains significantly depressed. The May jobs report showed 9.3 million people unemployed with another 5.3 million only working part time, but still seeking full time work. The economy is down 7.6 million jobs from the pre-pandemic February 2020 levels. The push to end unemployment benefits is predicated on a lie that unemployment is holding back workers from taking available jobs. As we've noted before, this is clearly refuted by the fact that the fastest growing category of jobs in the May jobs report is in leisure and hospitality, the cohort with the lowest average weekly wages, which means the greatest benefit from the increased unemployment benefit. So it seems strange that the cohort that would receive the most benefit would also be the fastest growing if the benefits were keeping people off the job market. Maybe a little bit more to the point, at least as it considers the issue of Texas, which, if you remember here, has a massive cutoff of over one million workers coming. The Dallas Federal Reserve is reporting that the Texas economy has, quote, strong momentum with a, quote, rapidly improving labor market and that their survey of business owners reveals, quote, surging optimism. Hmm. Strong momentum in a rapidly improving labor market where business owners reveal surging optimism. And that's all before the cutoff of unemployment benefits has even happened. Just again, reflecting the falsity of the idea that unemployment benefits are holding anything back. What this is really about is providing capitalists with more leverage over workers. Unemployment isn't stopping people from working. But it is forcing employers to raise their poverty wages and improve their health and safety conditions to compete for workers who are more than willing to work. So state governments in these 25 states are trying to help businesses out by making it harder for people to turn down poverty wage unsafe employment. It's people over profit, plain and simple, which makes sense because that's just the American way. That's the punch out for today. We're with you Monday through Friday, 5 p.m. here in New York East Coast Standard Time, 2 p.m. in Los Angeles Pacific Standard Time, and 9 p.m. GMT. And of course, you can support everything we do here at Breakthrough News at patreon.com slash breakthrough news. It's your patronage that keeps all of our offerings here at Breakthrough News moving forward. And of course, you can check us out across all your social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at BT Newsroom. 